Hey, if you have a Bible, you can turn to Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21. And while you're turning there, there's a story that goes like this. A cat dies and goes to heaven. Now, you may already have theological issues with this story. Um, you ask me, uh, do dogs go to heaven? I don't know, but I know where cats go. Um, but for the sake of this story, uh, we'll just say uh, this cat dies and he, and he goes to heaven. And, and when he gets there, St. Peter is standing at the gate. Because St. Peter is always standing at the gate, like in these stories. And St. Peter is there and he says, hey, uh, welcome to heaven. You made it. And uh, I can't believe you're a cat. You, you still made it to heaven. And the cat says, well, Peter, thanks for being here. I'm excited. I, I can't believe I made it. Um, I just have one request. You know, life was really tough for me here on earth. Now that I'm in heaven, I just have one request. Um, I was always sleeping on hard surfaces on earth. Uh, can I just have a really comfy, soft bed in heaven? And Peter said, well, you know, there's a lot more you could have asked for if that's all you want. Sure. You can have it. And so he tells the cat, I'll have a bed uh, ready for you. And the cat is super, super excited. And then some mice die and go to heaven the very next day. And uh, they walk up to Peter and they say, we're so glad that we made it to heaven. Uh, But, you know, down on earth, we were always being chased by cats constantly. And, you know, sometimes they catch up with us and we had friends that sometimes they would catch up with so jesus we're just asking or peter we're just asking for one thing can you make sure that in this time in heaven we can have roller skates on our feet so we can get around a little faster and peter said man these animals just ask for the strangest things and he said sure you know you can have roller skates and he tells them good you know there's your roller skates well, a few days go by and Peter forgets that he had made these promises. In fact, he had forgotten. He had seen so many people that he forgot these, this cat and these mice had come in. And he goes to check on the cat a few days later and the cat is sound asleep on this soft bed. So much so that he has to go and he has to nudge the cat to wake him up. And the cat finally wakes up and gives out a big yawn. He goes, oh, Peter, man. Thank you for this bed. This is the best that I have ever slept in my entire life. It's amazing. I love heaven. And by the way, those meals on wheels that you keep sending by, woo! that's amazing. We all have different ideas and beliefs about things that go on in heaven, don't we? You know, we like to debate them too. And can I be honest with you, though? Some of the beliefs we have about heaven are insane, like just false. Um, I googled the most popular believed misconceptions about heaven. And the first one is this, is that we all grow wings and become angels when we get to heaven. Now, would that be cool? Yeah, but that's not true. I've also heard that it's strictly a spiritual place and not a physical one. We're just kind of just floating of spirits. I've also heard that all of us will play the harp. You ever heard that? I've never even seen a harp on earth. And there's going to be all these harps in heaven. I've also heard that we're all going to be chubby babies floating around on clouds playing said harps. Just constantly. But perhaps the belief that troubles me most is this. Heaven sounds boring. 
heaven will be boring. We love to argue about heaven in the end times, don't we? If you grew up in the left behind phase, you probably had a felt chart of when Jesus was coming back or when someone said he was going to come back. And there's a story of uh, all these preachers who, you know, just were so, they, they, they loved discussing and debating theology just on end all the time. And they got together and they were sitting in a circle and they were debating the theology of eschatology. If you say that three times fast, you'll cuss, but it basically means this. The end times. The study of what's going to happen in the end. And one pastor says, listen, I have a Ph.D. in systematic theology from the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. And my belief about what's going to happen in the end times is this. And then another one spoke up and said, well, I have a Ph.D. in systematic theology from Biola Seminary. And I believe that it's the opposite. And then another pastor spoke up and said, well, I have a Ph.D. from both of those schools, and I'm telling you that you're both wrong. It's actually going to be this. And then an old man overheard the conversation and walked up to him and said, listen, I don't know about any of this mumbo jumbo esco whatever that y'all are talking about, but this is what I believe. Jesus Christ is coming back. And boy, I sure am ready for him to. And the preacher's we're just stunned but you know if we are going to spend all of eternity in heaven don't you think we should know a little bit about what it's like because i got good news for you church there's a lot of bad news but here's some good news jesus christ is coming back and so since he'll come back and establish this new heaven and new earth we should know what that's going to look like And so what is heaven going to look like? Well, God in his love and his mercy through his word sets the record straight for us. Revelation chapter 21. This is different, but would you stand in honor of reading God's word? This is what the Bible says to us. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down, of, uh, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. And then I heard a loud voice from the throne, look, God's dwelling is with humanity and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and will be their God. And this is perhaps one of my favorite verses in all of scripture. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. Then the one seated on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. He also said, Right, because these words are faithful and true. And then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And I will freely give to the thirsty from the spring of the water of life. The one who conquers will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Now take your Bible and flip over to the last paragraph in the entire Bible. If you see uh, what you're about to read, it says, weights and measures, you've gone too far. Verse 20 says this, he who testifies about these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. 
Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with everyone. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that the grass withers and the flower fades, but your word endures forever. And so, Jesus, as we look at the future, the promises you give to your people, may we long for that. God, I pray in the next few moments you would speak. God, if you don't preach this morning, there will be no preaching done. So dismiss me and you teach us. We love you, Father. It's in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, you can be seated. I want to give us a couple of words that I think summarize what heaven will be like. And the first one I want us to think about is this. Renewal. Can we say that together? Renewal. In verse 1 and 2, John says that he saw a new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem. Now, whenever the Greek, the original language that this was written in, uses the word new, it's either conveying one of two meanings. It's either meaning brand new, like brandly new created, or it's meaning remade, something that's reconstructed. In our text here, when John uses the word new, it's the latter. He's talking about a remade, reconstructed heaven and earth. In other words, John's teaching us heaven is going to be just like this, but with none of the negatives. Now, you might be asking, why renew what he made and not just make something completely new? You see, this is the genius of our God. Um, imagine I called you up one day and I said, hey, I got a car that I want to show you. And you came over and you walked into my garage and you saw this car. The first question you probably ask is, what is the church paying you? So I'd like to preface this illustration with this is not my car. I found this on Google. But you would be impressed, wouldn't you? But what if then I said, uh, well, what you don't know is I actually restored this car. And then I proceeded to pull a picture out of my pocket and show you what the car was like when I found it. And this is what it looked like. What would you think then? See, here's the difference about those two scenarios. The car being brand new, driven off the lot, makes you in awe of the design. But noticing that this car was carefully and passionately restored makes you in awe of the one who did the restoring. And so when we get to the new heavens and the new earth, there's going to be things that we remember. We're going to go, oh, I don't remember it like that. This seems a lot better. Now, in the new heaven and new earth, we know God renews and resurrects what he's already designed. He does a lot of it. And, um, this chart explains God's renewal process pretty well, I think. Check this out. In Genesis, heaven and earth is created. In Revelation, the new heaven and the new earth is created. In Genesis, sun is created. In Revelation, there's no need for sun. In Genesis, night is established. In Revelation, there is no more night. In Genesis, the seas are created. In Revelation, there are no more seas. In Genesis, the curse is announced. In Revelation, there is no more curse. In Genesis, death enters history, but in Revelation, death exits history. In Genesis, man is driven from paradise, but in Revelation, he's restored to paradise. 
And in Genesis, sorrow and pain begins. But thanks be to God in Revelation, sorrow and pain ends. In Genesis, the devil appears, but in Revelation, the devil disappears. You see, in the new heaven and the new earth, creation's beauties are heightened, its pleasures are strengthened, and its limitations are removed. You know, there's two main things we see through the scripture that God is going to renew when he does this. And the first is that God's going to renew creation itself. Man, that should get us excited. Like, think about this. What will a glorified, renewed, resurrected Grand Canyon look like? What will a glorified, resurrected, renewed prime steak taste like? In heaven, I imagine that ice cream is good for you and it's broccoli that makes you gain weight. In heaven, there's a football stadium where the Tennessee Titans always win and Steve McNair is always our uh, starting quarterback. There's some silly ones, but think about this. Not only will God renew creation, God's going to renew me and you. That physical ache that's been bothering you. That emotional hurt that keeps you up at night. That trauma that you carry with you every day. Listen to me. In ways that our human minds cannot understand right now, somehow God will make those wrongs perfectly right. Tolkien put it this way in The Lord of the Rings when he said, In the end, all the things on earth will simply become untrue. See, the genius of God is that he uses our suffering in this life to make the glory revealed to us in the next one all that more amazing. In church, when I think of this, I I think of those people that I know that daily struggle with so many things. I think of church members and family members that are Plagued by things like depression and anxiety and addiction. I think of friends who have children that were born with physical or mental challenges. Oh, what a day that's going to be when Jesus fixes all of that. You see, because our suffering will be fixed, our responses will stand in awe of the one who restores us. Joni Tata, a lady who was in a wheelchair her entire adult life, said this of her day of Jesus fixing her. She said, the first thing I plan to do on resurrected legs is to drop on grateful, glorified knees. You see, the genius of God to his people is this. The greater the suffering, listen to me, leaning close. The, greatest, the greater the suffering in this life, the greater the glory in the new. And when he ends our suffering, we'll have no other response than to be in awe of the one who took us from what we were and perfected us. But you know, Jesus doesn't just say, hey, look to the new heaven, new earth when I'm doing all this. He promises a city. He says it's going to be a new Jerusalem. We don't have to wonder about what Jesus is doing. He makes it specific for us. Doesn't he say that to his disciples when he's getting ready to go to the cross? Hey, don't you know I go and prepare a place for you? Um, 
a lot of you may or may not know kind of the way that I grew up. You know, me and my family didn't have much. Um, in fact, we used to joke, or I used to joke with people and say that we were so poor, we used to eat cereal with a fork so we could pass milk to the next person. <laughs> but you know, those hard times growing up, I don't, I don't remember bitterness about that. In fact, the thing I remember most whenever our family was struggling, I remember my mom going around the house singing. And she would sing one verse of this song. I don't know who sings it. I don't know the title of the song. But the verse that she would sing would go like this, reminding herself of what was to come and that one day Jesus was going to fix. She would sing, I'm going to a city where there'll be no more night. I'm going to a city where Jesus is alive. The trumpet's going to sound and I'll be on my way. Oh, I'm going to a city someday. We have a city waiting for me and you, brother and sister. The second word I think of to summarize what heaven is going to be like is reunion. Verse 3 says, Then I heard a loud voice from the throne, Look, God's dwelling place is with Humanity. I love how Pastor Lyle often refers to this as the great family reunion in the sky. And here's a few facts about that family reunion. The first is that we're going to be reunited with each other. Um, do any of you like to have a good cry? Be honest. Thank you, Breda. Anybody else just like to have a good cry? I do. I was telling one of our church members, I think it was Linda Scott, the other day, I just cry all the time now. I don't know why. It's like the older I get, the softer I get. Sad movie, cry. Sad story, I'll cry. Sometimes I'll see someone else crying. I have no clue what they're crying about, but I'll just cry with them because they're crying. One thing that always will get me, though, is reunion videos. You ever seen those? A soldier comes home from war and is reunited with his family or... A lost dog is found and reunited with its owners. Being reunited is such a precious thing. And in heaven, church, there's going to be a glorious reunion. We'll see family members that we remember, that we swap stories with in the living room. Some of them are going to be like, Uncle, whatever, how'd you make it here? He's probably going to say, I was thinking the same thing about you. We'll be able to talk about memories that we had. We'll see family members that we remember, grandfathers and grandmothers and aunts and uncles. Do you know what's cool too? We'll be reunited with family members that we never met. Grandfathers and grandmothers and aunts and uncles. And one of the greatest promises of heaven is that we'll be introduced to some of our family members that we've never met. And some of them will call us mom and dad. This is family worship today, so we won't go too much in this. But I love what Isaiah forty nine twenty two promises. Look at this. The Bible says, This is what the sovereign Lord says. On that day, I will give the signal... And they will carry your sons back to you in your arms. They will bring your daughters to you 
on their shoulders. If you're in here and, and you've lost a child in, in any way, any means, one of the greatest promises of God is that the moment you step into glory, in a way we don't understand, God's going to give a signal and angels will carry your children to be reunited with you forever. How good is God? See, but the greatest thing about this family reunion is not just that we'll be reunited with one another, it's that we'll be reunited with God himself. You see, the Bible starts with creation and a wedding. And the Bible ends with creation and a wedding. When God sets up the new heaven and the new earth, he comes down and brings his bride, the church, and we will commune with him in perfect unity forever. Another word I think of when thinking about this premise of heaven is release. Verse 4 and 5 says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. And then the one seated on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. No pain means no chronic illness. No aching joints. No tears means no depression, no fear, no worry, no stress, no misunderstandings, no relational conflicts. No more emergency rooms or chemotherapy units. No more pharmacies, no more hospitals, and praise God, no more funeral homes. Think about this, church. The same hands that were pierced on the cross of Calvary will be the same hands that will wipe your tears from your eyes. Earlier we saw what Joni Tata had to say about what she'll do when she gets to heaven and she can finally walk. But listen to what she says more about this when she writes in her book. I hope in some way I can take my wheelchair to heaven. With my new glorified body, I'll stand up from that wheelchair on resurrected legs and I'll be next to my Lord. And I'll feel those nail prints in his hands and I'll say, thank you, Jesus. And I know he's going to mean it. He knows, I know he'll know that I'm going to mean it. Because he'll recognize me from how hard I leaned on him during my sufferings. And then I'll say, Lord Jesus... Do you see that wheelchair over there? Well, guess what? You were right. When you put me in it, it sure was a lot of trouble. But the weaker I was in that wheelchair, the harder I leaned on you. And the harder I leaned on you, the stronger I discovered you to be. I don't think I would have ever known the glory of who you are if it were not for the weakness of that wheelchair. So, Lord Jesus, thank you for that wheelchair. Then she says my favorite part. She says, uh, oh yeah, Jesus. Now, if you like, you can send that thing off to hell. One of my favorite things that happens in movies is whenever the bad guy gets, you know, his, his day comes. And he, I don't know why, but like they're always like kicked out of like a restaurant or a house or something like that. And I don't know why, but in the movies, like whenever the bad guy's kicked out, thrown out by the tough good guy, he's always got some belonging and he's like, oh, and don't forget to take that with you and like throws it at him. You seen that? I love that. 
You know, the reason why the new heaven and the new earth is so great is not only because who reigns there, but check this out. It's also because who doesn't reign there. Notice the devil's nowhere to be found in this part of Revelation. In the first two chapters of the Bible, the devil is nowhere to be found. And in the last two chapters of the Bible, the devil is nowhere to be found. Because right before our text, we see what happens to Satan. This is chapter 20, verse 10. The devil who deceived them, my people, was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophets are. And they'll be tormented day and night forever. But it's not just Satan who's thrown into the lake of fire. In fact, all the things that evil and Satan had brought about because of him will be thrown in there as well. Look at the next passage, if you go down to verse 14, that says, Death and Hades were also thrown into the lake of fire. I don't know what part of this fallen world plagues you, but one day Jesus is going to cast the one who caused it into the lake of fire. And along with him, every single thing that has been tormenting his people since the beginning of the fall. So, so, so what's your suffering? You, you may say, well, well, my suffering is, it's, it's, I'm dealing with cancer. And God tucks that away. Well, my, my suffering is abandonment. I, I, I've been abandoned and it's trauma. Trauma is mine or, or hurt and people have backstabbed me and people have done all these things. And, and, and it may be this physical issue and it may be this. And in the end, God is going to cast the one who caused that into the lake of fire. But check this out. He's going to say, oh, and by the way, the things that you've been tormenting my people with, don't forget to take that with you. Man, that's going to be good. The last word we'll look at that I believe summarizes heaven is rain. Verse 6, and he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And I will freely give to the thirsty from the spring of the water of life. And the one who conquers will inherit these things. And I'll be his God and he'll be my son. One thing that I've noticed as I've gotten older is that I used to ask for toys for Christmas. Now I ask for things like tires. You know, Christmas just ended, and when I was a kid, I was, I was terrified of Santa. Like, I was so scared of this guy coming down the chimney, like, in, in my house. Like, oh my gosh, that, that scares me. But I think back, and I'm like, that's terrible thinking. Why would I be scared of someone who is coming to bring me gifts? Like, that, that's such flawed thinking. But, you know, I've heard people say things like, I hope Jesus doesn't come back before I get to fill in the blank. Or I hope I'm not around when Jesus comes back. But church, for the believer, we should be giddy, looking forward to the return of Christ. Don't be shy about someone coming to you who's going to give you the gift of salvation and give you a gift of putting everything right. And church, if you hear me say nothing else this morning, hear me say this. Jesus Christ is coming back. And when he does, he will right the wrongs of this world and he will reign forever. The promise of the new heaven and the new earth is that the old things will be put to death. The new things will be brought to life and Jesus Christ will reign eternal. And our only response 
will be this. When Christ shall come with shout of acclamation and take me home, what joy shall fill my heart. And then I shall bow in humble adoration and then proclaim, my God, say it with me, how great thou art. And so I have a question for two different sets of people today. The first of this, are you ready for the return of Jesus? Are you looking forward to it? Are you giddy about his return? Are you holding on to the promises that he's going to come back and he's going to fix all this? Like, honestly, I cannot wait until Jesus comes back. All this talk of war and all this talk of division, I'm so sick of all the things that we see on social media. All it makes me think is, Jesus, please come back and get rid of all of this mess. The second question I have for the second group is this is are you ready for the return of Jesus Christ? Have you accepted Christ? Have you believed on the one who can save you, on the only one who can? In closing today, uh, I know you may be thinking like I often do, okay, if Jesus is coming back, then what in the world is he waiting on? You ever had that thought? When I see pain and I see things that I just cannot explain, I think, Jesus, what, what, when are you, what are you waiting on? Well, the first thing we need to know about questions like that is that God doesn't view time like me and you view time. The Bible says that to God a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. And so for me and you, it's been over 2,000 plus years since... The resurrection of Christ. But check this out. To God, that just happened two days ago. We also have to be reminded that God always keeps his promises. If Jesus says that he's coming soon, church, he means it. Remember our secondary passage that we looked at when we began? He who testifies about these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with everyone. Jesus is coming soon. We know that. But then our human nature is to ask the next question is, well, what does he mean by soon? When I call my wife and I say, hey, when are you coming home from shopping? So often say, soon. If your wife is anything like mine, when she says soon, that could mean anywhere between five minutes and five weeks. <laughs> but check this out. Don't miss this. When Jesus says he's coming soon, I won't bore you with all the Greek language, but that's in the active tense. Check this out. Don't miss this. So what that means in ways that we can't understand when Jesus says, I am coming soon, it means this. He's already on his way. And so are you ready for the return of Christ? Are you longing for the new heaven and the new earth? I can't answer all the questions for you. I don't know when he's coming back. I don't know how. But boy, I sure am ready for him too. Would you bow with me? Maybe you're here and 2023 has been a year of struggle there's been things that plague you aches physical emotional maybe 
Today, you need to be reminded and thank God for the promise of renewal. How He will renew you and perfect the things that plague you. Maybe 2023 was a year where you lost loved ones. Maybe today you need to say, God, help me believe your word when you tell me that I'm going to be reunited with those. Maybe you've been praying for God to get rid of something in your life and he just won't. Well, friend, he will on the other side, guaranteed. Would you long for that? Maybe you're in here and you've never accepted the fact that Jesus Christ is coming back to reign eternal. Maybe this is even your first time being in a church like this and hearing a message like this. And you, you can ask our church members and those who know me best. I don't, I don't, I don't do this as a fear tactic. But, but for many of us, if we wait too long to accept Christ, it'll be too late. I say that out of love. I don't say that to scare you in any way. But the promise of the new heaven and the new earth yields a response for me and you. So I don't know what that is. Maybe today as you think about the things of the new year, you need to start the year off right by giving your life to Christ, by signing up for baptism, for joining the church. I don't know what it is. You can tell me. Maybe it's getting involved in a Sunday school class. Man, what greater way to start 2024 if you're not involved in a small group here than to get involved in a small group. I don't know what it is you need to start the year off with, but you do. The Lord does. I'm just praying that before we walk out of here, we'll do that. Whatever it is for you, me and Pastor Lyle will be standing down front. There's people here who want to pray with you. We want to pray with you. Whatever it is that the Lord is working on your heart, we want to help you. And I pray that you would make that decision, take that step before you leave here. I'm going to pray. We're going to say amen. Then we're going to stand. Father, we love you. God, thank you for the promise. You're going to fix all of this. And God, as C.S. Lewis famously wrote, when we get there, we'll experience the greatest story ever known, the one that no one on earth has ever read the one that goes on forever in which every chapter is better than the one before. God, that's what's waiting on us. Jesus, we long to see you. We ask you, come back and do so quickly. We love you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.